We'll confirm that with him right now. Joe, good morning, and congrats again on adding another highlight to an incredible athletic career. Wow, what an intro. Good morning, gentlemen. And uh, I agree. To quote Happy Gilmore, some I'd like to call luck and some I'd like to call, well, luck, I guess. But, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a clutch performance. It was a great job by the team. We kind of had that uh, law of the jungle mentality, right? The strength of the wolf is the pack, and the strength of the pack is the wolf. And I feel like, you know, the four of us together had some great synergy, and that was awful fun there with uh, Ryan Davis, AD at Garen Catholic, and uh, Brian Shelbourne. Boy, I just got chills hearing that quote. That sounds like a high school weight room quote. Well, I want to know right. more, well, more hey, about it's, 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 it's Friday morning in the fall what could be better you got high school football tonight cyo football in the morning great college football slate and then you got the colts jags the cherry on top one o'clock on sunday i want to know more more about this gold putter so is it like a happy gilmore thing where he's got the gold like hockey stick as the putter or is it what's it look like you call it gold finger right joe yeah, my, my brother won it in 2009 at a HSE, you know, sports golf outing. It was it says Don Hines Ford on it. They donated it solid gold, and then he gave it to me. I've been playing with it ever since, and I was actually thinking about retiring it because it's old and a little bit weary, taking it out to pasture. But after that putt, we got another 10, 15 years with that thing. Yeah, I think the Indiana Golf Hall of Fame actually is going to call you and see if they can get that right in the lobby. The great Joe Wrights with us here. Obviously, Colts pregame show this Sunday, and you'll hear him as you do every Monday right here on Colts Roundtable Live and the father of quite a few children. Um, Joe Wrights is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, obviously the offensive line, a huge, huge topic leading into week six. I want to first ask you about Matt Pryor and what maybe he went through in transitioning from right tackle to left tackle this offseason, what he went through last Thursday and having to make that switch then from left to right um, without any practice. Can you kind of share, like, what was that like for you? What do you think that's like for him having to make these changes whether it be from one tackle to the other, guard to tackle, those sorts of things. Yeah, and that's awful tough for him. I mean, I think going in, you know, the Colts kind of gave him the job. It was his to lose through training camp and, you know, thought he had a good training camp, but when he got in game situations, just was a little bit different. You know, didn't perform the first five weeks. So then you kick him over to right tackle, and he struggled against Denver. And I just think, you know, that's that's awful tough for him. You know, I certainly don't want to speak for Matt, but, you know, confidence-wise, you know, that's got to be hard. And I think, again, the Colts are trying to figure out their best combination of linemen. I mean, in my opinion, you know, I, I kind of like the Ryman at left tackle. I think they're right, and I think they should stick with him. I think he's got a ton of upside. He'll get better. He wasn't as bad as some people thought against Denver. A couple of those penalties, that's just he's got to learn how to play and learn how, hey, this is what the refs are seeing. This is where you got to put your hands. This is where you might have to let go a half second sooner so you don't get called for that. But Ryman there, Nelson, Kelly – you know, I kind of like Will Fries at right guard and then Smith at right tackle. You know, to me, I'll be interested to see the line that they do. You know, obviously Dennis Kelly is somebody they signed, hasn't played yet. And then Ty Nischke we signed. If you guys yeah. are ready, I have a Ty Nischke story for the ages from 2012 Anderson training camp. I couldn't believe he was still playing when I saw that signing. I agree. I had no idea. I read it. I instantly called Costanzo. We talked. The first thing he brought up, was Ty Nischke signs in 2012 training camp. You know, again, he came from the Arena League. Nobody had really heard of him. And now we're in one-on-ones, right? So one-on-one O-line, D-line pass rush, it's a flagship drill. We as offensive linemen think it's a bias drill, which it is. Because think, the defense, they can go outside, inside, straight through you. But there's no other four linemen. There's no play action they have to worry about, right? So inherently, it's tougher for offensive linemen. So I always struggled in one-on-ones. I'd always get beat. And I'd be like, man, these guys are going to watch the film and they're going to kick me to the curb because I, I could never beat anybody in one-on-ones. But I was pretty good in team because, you know, you know the plays and what's going on and you have run action, play action, et cetera. So we go there, Ty Nischke rolls out first practice and Dwight Freeney's lined up against him. And one of the coaches is like, no, 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 get somebody else in against Dwight. And Ty's like, no, I'm ready to go. And, you know, Dwight, I'm sure, is thinking, hey, here's this young guy, this rook. I'm going to give him my welcome to the NFL yeah, moment. I'm going to throw him to the Ball Anderson Casino. Yeah, exactly. Ball is snapped. All of a sudden, Ty Nischke, boom, long arms, hands on him, stonewalls Dwight Freeney. And everybody's kind of like, woo! And all of a sudden, they're like, all right, run it back, run it back. Boom, stonewalls Freeney again. And so my first thought is like, oh, my gosh. 
this guy's way better than me. I'm definitely getting cut. And then I'm talking to Costanzo that night, and Costanzo's like, did you see Ty? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm definitely getting cut. He's way better than me. I'm like, well, hey, AC, if you're getting cut, then I'm definitely getting cut. And anyway, you know, Ty, it was his first time, and, and we let him go at the end of camp. And obviously it's tough mid-camp because, uh, you know, you're learning the playbook, et cetera, and that's hard. But he clearly has stuck around and had a really nice career. And so we'll see how long does it take him to get up to speed, play, et cetera. But, you know, obviously that's another signing. And back to the whole picture. I know the team's trying to figure out that line. Believe me, I've been in the locker room when stuff like that's happening. It's not fun, but guess what? Just like, you know, confidence and struggles can magnify, so can success. And you have one or two good games, things get rolling, they get united with Matt Ryan. And to me, it's not just the offensive line, right? It's the running backs. It's the loss of Jack Doyle, which has really hurt us in the run game. It's a new quarterback figuring out Frank's system. It's play calling, it's scheme. It's everything rolled into one. But bottom line, if you're the Colts and you're this offensive line, you have a great chance, I mean a great opportunity over the next three weeks to really turn yourself in from a team that's kind of middle of the road right now into a true contender. And it starts one day again, you know, 1 o'clock uh, Sunday against the Jags. And just to sneak in, the Freeney Stonewall, Ty Neschke, he is on the practice squad right now. So we'll see if he gets involved at all moving forward. Joe, the Colts' offensive line is obviously struggling in both the pass and the running game. What For you, what is the factor, that the biggest factor of why a veteran group is not getting the push up front that they have in the past? I think it's one, guys, when they're individual battles, which we haven't done as well as they have in years past. I think two, and I've been saying this since the preseason, the loss of Jack Doyle is huge because he was such a unique tight end. He could block in line on the line of scrimmage. He could wham those defensive tackles. If you're, you know, running some sort of trap scheme, he could lead up on a linebacker and really block them at the point of attack. And without kind of that lead guy, what teams are doing, they're just putting linebackers in the box and they're starting to just run them through quicker and quicker. And that really hurts the zone running scheme. So coming off the Thursday night game, an extra three days to prepare. I'm really going to be interested to see scheme-wise if we do some things differently. Because usually when you have that Thursday night game, the coaches get three or four extra days to kind of self-scout, if that makes sense. What have we done through the first five games? What's the other team thinking when we roll out there? What can we do differently? So, to me, those have been the two things, and hopefully you get a healthy Jonathan Taylor back and uh, you really get that run game piping um, coming up here Sunday. The great Joe Wrights, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Joe, I thought Frank Reich's explanation for moving Braden Smith to right guard last Thursday night was interesting. Um, basically, Reich said that, they wanted to firm up the center of the pocket, um, and they wanted to improve the, their interior run game. Uh, you think any part of that is maybe catering to your quarterback in that situation and that Matt Ryan has expressed a, hey, I feel like the interior pocket has been an issue for me. I'd rather have that be a little bit more set than necessarily out at right tackle. And I guess what did you make of Reich's explanation on that? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it, it's wrong by any means. You know, the middle three guys in the pass game are always responsible for the depth of the pocket, meaning they got to keep those guys close to the line of scrimmage if they can so the quarterback has room to step up. And then the tackles are responsible for the width of the pocket and keeping the pocket wide and so it doesn't collapse. And so I think there's been more pressure this year than in years past through the middle. It's one-on-one battles. A lot of it is teams are blitzing more. Again, when you put on tape that you're struggling picking up things in pass protection, it's a copycat league, and teams continue to do it. And what teams are doing is they're getting five-on-five matchups. And so teams are saying, we're going to rush five guys. We're going to force you scheme-wise into get five one-on-ones, and then we're going to have one less guy in coverage, and we're going to kind of dare you to beat us in the pass game. And Jacksonville really started that week, too, when we had a couple of our receivers out, right, playing our guys tighter. But I think with the emergence of Pierce, I think with the emergence of Woods, you know, Pittman still has got to get going, and I think he will. But I think with those guys and making some plays down the field, teams aren't going to be able to do that as much as maybe they were doing early on the season. And so, you know, that's – but going back to your question about solidifying the inside of the pocket, I don't think it's wrong by any means. Um, but I, I will be interested to see what uh, – do they have the same lineup? Do they change it up? You've had 10 days. Um, but let, let's hope we're talking about a good offensive line performance come Monday and something that you know has been a position of strength on this team and you know flip it back to that joe you've been in the trenches you've seen it all in your opinion what's the most fixable thing on the offensive line where you've seen issues through five games and what's something that that doesn't look like it'll get solved until the off season yeah i don't know that i could really 
Uh, it's a it's a tough question. In terms of fixable, to me, the more that you have five guys and you say this is our lineup and roll and that's better. The more guys play together is good. The more they communicate better is good. And then also with the quarterback too. You've now had five games to figure out your quarterback, and you know with you know six straight new quarterbacks or whatever it is, that's just tough because each quarterback has different nuances. They have different ways that they slide left or right in the pocket, step up whether they hold on to the ball, whether they don't, whether they escape and scramble. And those guys just have to get used to each other. You've got to give it time. I do think that's what's exciting, though, because the talent is there. And for the whole offense, you know, and the ceiling is high. When you think about the Colts offense, 32 in points, and when you think about our turnovers, we're, we're minus six on the year. We're 31st in the league. If you told me those two stats through five games, I'd be like, man, what do we have, one win? But we're 2-2-1, two, two and one, right? And you got the Jags at home, which you have to beat. Then you go to Tennessee, and then you got Washington at home, and we're not losing to the Commanders at home. If anybody watched that game last night, I'm, I'm just I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. So realistically, that's what excites me about this team still is that the offense has been the weak link so far. The defense has played great. The special teams has played great. They played winning football. But I do think you got the pieces on this offense to get it going, and that's what excites me about the Colts, that I think their potential um, is really high. But, again, it's, uh, it, I, I can't underestimate, you know, as a fan, as a former player, anything, how big these next two weeks are. I mean, to me, this really is the cold season coming up Sunday and coming up next Sunday in Tennessee. Joe, I, I want to expand on that to close things out. Um, the time is now, you know, and I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking back to when you played and you guys just dominated the division. And here you are, if you lose Sunday – it's the longest drought in the division without a win for the Colts in franchise history. And it's not like you've lost these games on last-second field goals. You know, you've been down at least three scores in your last four AFC South games. Do you have a do you have a feel of like a little bit more of a time is now, I don't know, Herb Brooks sense of urgency that is an absolute must, especially considering this team has really bullied you in each of the last two matchups? No doubt. I mean, the urgency for this game, I mean, is, in my opinion, it's must win. It's playoff type urgency. Because think about it. To your good point, Kevin, I think I read something that you might have put out that no team has won the South with less than four division wins, right? And so, you know, the Colts, the best they can get to is three, two, and one. And it's really hard to get swept by a division opponent and not, and then still win the division. It's happened, but it's really rare. And so then you throw in the fact that you're playing a Jags team that historically, you know, you've had success against, obviously not down there the last seven or eight years. We know that's well-documented. But the last two times, you know, Coach Venturi and I were talking on the Monday Night Roundtable. You know, if you're, if you're Frank, you need to do anything more than put up 26-11 to 11 on the screen and 24 nothing and walk out of the room. The guys know what's at stake. The guys know that, I mean, it's just flat-out straight embarrassing the last two performances down there. And I expect, you know, people to come out Sunday with their hair on fire kind of like we did against the Chiefs when your backs were against the wall and go out and just compete really hard every snap and dominate the game. I mean, I really – I know Jacksonville. I know Trevor Lawrence has had success against these couple, but, I mean, I see the Colts win this game by a touchdown or more. I really do. And I think that gives them a lot of confidence going down to Tennessee. And I know Tennessee's coming off a bye. And historically, is it good to come off a bye with an extra week of prep? I would say yes. But early in the season – when you're not that beat up. And Tennessee has won three in a row, and I kind of like that they have that bye, right, because this train, this momentum that they've been building kind of stops and guys go away and get to sunny Florida, and you can kind of lose a little bit of that momentum. So I really do think it's an advantageous position the Colts are in. And, again, nine days from now we're going to know. But the, these two games, I mean, again, to me, this, this really is the season coming up. The Colts can tap into an ounce of the clutch factor that the Goldfinger – via Joe Wright's had earlier this week. That would go a long way in getting things back on track. Joe, we'll be tuning in Friday, or we'll be tuning in, I should say, Sunday morning and again on Monday. As always, man, enjoy your insight and had a blast earlier this week. 10 o'clock, touchdown town. We got a special guest that will be live. I can't Whoa. tell you who it is, but Bill Brooks, Jeffrey, the gore man, myself, and JMV, we're going to be juiced up here come Sunday. So if you're a Colts fan, going to be a beautiful day get the touchdown town they got those cheap bud lights fire it up and let's uh let's get loud sunday at one o'clock and let's make this crowd a factor in terms of rattle and trevor lawrence we need him to have an off game joe have a great one man thank you 
All right. Thanks, fellas. Joe Wright's right there on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. When we come back, Greg Gregstraw joins us. Talk a little bit of everything, uh, not just Colts, a little high school football and college as well. Greg Gregstraw's next. With us there, that'll be up on the podcast. Again, myself, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dighton on this Friday morning. Sam Fritz on the ones and twos with Jake out. He'll be back on Monday. We do want to get to some high school football chatter with Greg Gregstraw. Sectional draw took place this past Sunday and really some big matchups in the final week of the regular season. But let's begin with the Colts. Rank, I'm under the impression if Jonathan Taylor gives it a go today again in practice that he will play on Sunday. Your thoughts there? That has always been my thought as well. And frankly, I thought that there was a chance if last week was a Sunday game, he would have played in that too. So of all the guys that missed last week, I thought he had the best chance of playing. Other guy I think that will play, although because the guy that's filled in for him, you know, has, has played well, there doesn't seem to be this pressing need. I think we'll see Julian Blackman back out there Sunday too. Yeah, you know, now you bring that up, I'm curious how they, you know, do they just give Blackman his normal 100% reps? Yeah, I'm interested to see how they do that because I do think Rodney Tom. I, I like Blackman a lot, but Rodney Thomas has played yep. pretty good football. He has, and so my guess is you're going to see a little bit of both those guys, to be honest with you, not just to ease Blackman back into it, but because Thomas has played well, and for as good of a player as I think Julian Blackman is, let's face it, he has shown to be injury-prone, and so having a guy like Thomas available and ready is certainly a good way to go. Rake, uh, Colts haven't won a division game since December 5th, 2021. Why have they struggled so mightily in this this division? That is the $64 million question because clearly the division's not very good yet the Colts are 0-2-1. Um, you know, I, I think they are petitioning the NFL for a move to the AFC West. Um, <laughs> and if they're not, let me suggest that. Um, I mean, again, it, it's the same reason they have struggled just overall. Uh, it, it's line play. It's quarterback play. It's, it's not making enough big defensive plays. It just happens to be that, and and maybe we should chalk it up to this, this team is notorious for ending off to a slow start to the season. Well, maybe that's not a good thing. Then you play five of your seven, you know, first games are going to be against divisional foes. But there is no rhyme or reason to explain that, Mark. Courtesy of the ISC Sports Network, the great Greg Gregstraw is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Obviously, you can hear Ray Colt's postgame show coming up on Sunday. Um, right side of that offensive line, Rake, I think we know Bernard Ryman at left tackle, Quentin Nelson at left guard, if healthy, and Ryan Kelly got back to practice yesterday. Frank Reich said they'll stick with Ryan Kelly at center. Part of me thinks this, Rake, and I know to some fans and even to me, I'm like, would they really do that? If you're going to make such a wild, drastic change to the O-line on a short week without practice, aren't you saying to your staff, we need to ride this out for a couple of weeks to build chemistry and give them actual practice time. Basically, I, under, I understand if you have the same five guys as you did last Thursday, just to say, okay, let's see what you do with a full week of practice instead of, instead of having, you know, a couple of walkthroughs. So um, I, I understand why fans have seen enough of, of Matt Pryor or other members of the Colts offensive line. I get that. Uh, but I also understand the logic in terms of, all right, we put you guys together in a short week, gave you two walkthroughs, and said, hey, go get them. Now let's give you a full week of practice and see what happens. So uh, I, I'm not going to be throwing stuff out of the press box windows if if it's the same five that get the start on Sunday afternoon. Boy, part of me, I hope everything's okay, but part of me would love to see security have to corral you throwing stuff out of the, uh, out of the press box on Sunday afternoon. That would be a, quite the sight uh, to see. I'm not the guy that makes a lot of noise in the press box. You know who that is, and you shouldn't answer who that is. But Greg, I'm not the guy that's the rabble rouser in that end of the press box. Kevin just so, wants yeah. the distraction so he can stuff bacon in his pockets before. Well, now they've gone with this turkey bacon. Oh, and no. I just, yeah, no, I just, uh, selfishly, I just can't get behind it. I hope Rake will back me on that. I will say this. Um, the the press and, and things that people really don't care about, but I'll, I'll bring it up anyway. The press box food normally at Lucas Oil has been reminiscent of the Colts' offensive line play so far. Um, well said. You know, well said. Not amongst, not amongst the best in the league. Um, although after all these years, I don't have the expectation um, for said food um, that, uh, that that I had for the offensive line coming into the season. That would indicate some history of, of top-level performance that simply hasn't existed. Break market out. 
But two weeks ago, there was an omelet station. There was. So yeah. we're, we're making small incremental progress here. So let's hope for, you know, if we can just get 1% better again on Sunday, then maybe we'll see this as more than just a happenstance. Maybe it's actually a trend. You're hoping not to use the Pepto-Bismol is what you're saying. Yeah. There, there are things that literally mark that I see. I'll see people like there for the first time. I'm like, hey, don't get that. Just, just don't do it. Just, just go in a different direction. Your digestive system will thank me from years of experience. Frank, Mark, and I were talking earlier about these two games right here for the Colts at home Sunday against Jacksonville at Tennessee. Obviously, you're trying to avoid season sweeps with both of those teams. How do you view what two and zero would mean, what one and one would mean, and what zero and two would mean? in these next two games for the rest of the season? Uh, one and one means you're kind of in the same boat that you are now uh, where you're you're not playing well, but you're still in it. Two and oh means you have control of the division, which is crazy to think about. Oh and two means is that all hell is breaking loose. As simple as that. Because um, if, if you get through these next two games and you're two, four and one, and you're oh, four and one in division play, which basically means you're no, no tiebreakers. And, you know, I, I think we can – if there's not exactly much separation in this division, I think we can kind of say, hey, it appears the Houston Texans are probably the fourth of this group. So, you know, owning a tiebreaker with them may not mean much by the time that game rolls around on January the 8th. If you're 2-0, and then it's ugly but beautiful, uh, and you're leading the AFC South, and you're, you've got an inside track for a home playoff game. If you're 1-1, one and one, it's more of the same. If you're 0-2, we're having some conversations about the future. Rake, I want to switch uh, talking points to the offensive line. Uh, earlier this week, Zach Kiefer tweeted out offensive line help for the Colts uh, when they made a signing, and then he said, one question, though, why won't they play Dennis Kelly? Dennis Kelly uh, subtweeted that and with a gif of, I literally don't know. What's going on with Ryan Kelly? Why, ha- why can't he seem to crack uh, any sort of opportunity with the Colts? Well, Dennis Kelly is the guy that they brought in to, br- to be kind of the, the veteran swing player, what Chris Reed was for this football team last year. Dennis was then hurt during all of training camp and did not take a single rep in the preseason, both in a game nor in practice. Now we have gotten to the point where that's been seven weeks. And so, you know, I saw, I saw Dennis going through his individual workouts on Wednesday. I'm sure Kevin has seen him doing the same things on a, on a daily basis out there, uh, such on the Wednesday, Thursday practices. But you would think that, Whatever he missed in the offseason in training camp has been made up for by now. Um, and so much like your question about divisional struggles, Mark, the answer is I don't know. Um, you would think he would be next in line to get a look if the current combination doesn't fare better than they did last week against the Broncos. Great, Greg Straw, ISC Sports Network, uh, Carmel and LC, I believe, for Rake tonight. Uh, you go back to Sunday Greg, and again, we're in the final week of the high school regular season, the sectional draw. I thought, you know, out of that draw, you got some pretty juicy first-round matchups in 6A. You did. Uh, you know, Ben Davis and Brownsburg, a rematch in, in week number one, which, of course, for the 6A guys is not next week, but is in two weeks. Carmel and Westfield obviously immediately comes to mind as well, even though I think both teams might be not as good as they were last year, but clearly they're amongst two that you think can go a little ways in terms of the northern half of the bracket. Even if you go to the 3A and 4A ranks next week in terms of Mount Vernon and New Pal, uh, also Danville and Tri-West, um, there, there are some good games to choose from these first couple of weeks of the postseason. As a Brownsburg resident, a new Brownsburg resident, I have my eyes on the Brownsburg-Hamilton Southeastern game tonight. That's a huge one. Who do you have walking out 9-0? and that's good. You would, you, would, you would tend to say Brownsburg, but HSE is 8-0 for a reason. They're pretty good, too. Yeah, it's a Brownsburg squad that you look at their two non-conference wins, you know, that catches your attention immediately, Ben Davis and Cathedral. And then, you know, the, the, the game that recently you go, wow, that pops out at you is the fact they beat Zionsville 50-3. Uh, and, and Zionsville's not a, a 6A championship contender. I was stunned by that, Rake. I was, I, I was on the call for that. I, I couldn't yeah. believe how out of hand it got. Right, exactly. Uh, and so, you know, Brownsburg, again, as I've said numerous times, they're the number one team, okay? But there's not the gap from them to everybody else the way we have had in, say, four of the last five years where Ben Davis had a super team in 17 or Warren had had an 18 or Center Grove had that each of the last couple of years. 
I still believe this is a this is a, a a year where there are five or six teams, depending on how things go, um, could be the the 6A state champs. All of them obviously in the local area. So Brownsburg is the favorite, which then makes them the favorite tonight. But I don't expect it to be easy because this is clearly the best team that HSE has had in 15 years, if not longer. Rick, last one for me. I want to get, sneak in a college football one. I, I get it's jumbled right now, but I think they've got the best quarterback in the division, and I would call them the Big Ten West favorite here in mid-October. Would you agree with that sentiment for Purdue? It's crazy to think that. Um, you know, and, and, and everybody on each campus, maybe the exception of Northwestern, has to think, my goodness, we've got a shot of winning this bad division. Um, and again, do I think that whomever comes out of the West would do any damage whatsoever against Ohio State? Nope. Uh, or Michigan or Penn State, frankly, uh, you know, for, for, for that matter. But I think you couched it very well. Of the teams that are, you know, all on level footing in the West, who's one of the best quarterback? Well, you could say that is Aiden O'Connell, and, and I would tend to agree. So, you know, it's one thing when you just simply go, hey, you know, they're tied for first three games into Big Ten play. But when you spit out who is left on the schedule, it's Nebraska, it's Illinois, it's Wisconsin, it's Northwestern, it's Iowa, it's Indiana. Nobody that really has shown consistently they're any good. Purdue's got a shot in every game. Purdue could be playing at Lucas Oil Stadium on December the 3rd. Rake, last one from me, Colts-Jaguars Sunday. Who you have winning? Colts. You want to know why? Yes, I guess I do. The sanity of the postgame show host. <laughs> Are you at your wit's end at this That's point? A selfish pick, Rake. Right. It's, it's all about me. It always has been. Um, no, in all, in all seriousness, um, you know, after after the, the Jaguars beat the Colts in the next week, you go, hey, maybe Jacksonville's got something. And then you had last week against the Houston Texans. And for we all know the history of the Colts struggling in Jacksonville. The flip side is true here in Indianapolis. It's not like Jacksonville has had Indy's number in this building. Last year, the Jaguars, you know, in a match of about this same time of year, looked pretty putrid in terms of playing against the Colts. So, um, you know, having, having the, the mini-buy, having that extra break, coming back home, having more time for that offensive line to work together, I tend to think the Colts are going are, are to win this one coming up on Sunday afternoon. I can't even imagine Greg's, like, sanity after having to work a Thursday night game last night or last week, watch that game, and then have to take calls for hours afterwards into the wee hours of the morning. That's why they paid you know the what, big Mark, bucks. It was, actually, it was actually more positive than you'd think since they won. That um, is true. If, if, if they had lost, we've been having a completely different conversation. But, but most callers – we're looking at that in a positive light as, hey, found a way to win the game when the offensive well, the offensive effort was terrible uh, because they could focus on defense and special teams. So when we had fun, we literally hit the airwaves at 1210. We had phone callers for two straight hours. We had phone calls into the 2 o'clock hour last Friday morning. Winning ugly is still winning. Busy, busy time of year for Greg Rakestraw again tonight. Carmel LC, the state high school tournament, starts up next week for football and, of course, a whole lot of Colts as well. Rake, uh, have a great weekend, man. I'll see you Sunday. All right. Thanks, guys. Greg Rakestraw right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. It It's just astonishing to me, Mark. I go back to this for the, you know, futility the Colts have had in this division here lately. You've got to go back to 2017 for Jacksonville's last road game in the AFC South. Road win, excuse me, in the AFC South. Yeah, that is wild. 13 I mean, I, straight? That's got to be close to an NFL record. That's got to be. Did you know the Jaguars have been bad? I didn't know they were that putrid in the division. And then the fact that the Colts are just – the Colts are still struggling with them in Jacksonville. It's like, can you just get the win against them, please? Just end this straight. You can't even be competitive in Jacksonville. Yeah. Um, I, I go back to that Week 2 matchup and think, no Michael Pittman, no Alec Pierce. They'll be out there on Sunday. I think that is huge to kind of offsetting – Everything Jacksonville. Probably one of the more accurate statements you'll hear all day. Mark Dykin receiving a text in the break saying, today feels a little bit more focused out of the old 7 to 10 show here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. No shock there with Jake Query out.
Yeah, I haven't had any metaphors yet. I haven't gone on any soliloquies. Now it is the nine o'clock. Now, does this feel weird for you? Are you uncomfortable with I, it? I I am a I little. I'm, I'm like, breaking boy, the routine. Something seems off. I'm sweating a little bit more than I usually do. <laughs> and like you said, that chair. You never know. I could drum something up here. In something the final could trigger hour. me. We're in the we're in the nine o'clock hour. You never know. Things get weird. Final hour of the week. I was thinking about this last night, and it has some relevancy with our next guest because our next guest is a big baseball fan. I know a little bit of that has probably waned. Uh, based off how his red legs, our red legs, I should say, have looked over the past few years. But, like, that rating last night of Commanders and Bears, in my opinion, will still be very, very high because you didn't have Yankees Guardians to turn the channel to. No. With the rain delay. Most well, one of those things, too, where, again, the app makes it a little more difficult to sure. jump out of. Sure. But even, like, if you would have got to halftime last night and had the option of Yankees Guardians – and it was like, you know, whatever, 1-1 one, one in the sixth, you could have people that are like, wait, what? Over 50 drives without a touchdown in Thursday night football? Over 100 minutes played? Screw this. I'm going to baseball. Uh, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, is our next guest. Mate, I don't know if you watched or how much you did last night of Thursday night football, but was there any part of you that was thinking, hmm, I could use a little <laughs> Yankees-Guardians right now? I did watch a great deal. And the month of October, heck, even even November, with all the football going on, plus basketball and hockey, you know, I mean, I'll watch hockey from a novice standpoint, but those are two TV months for me. I've got TVs going, um, you know, or, or a phone going with the TV on in the evening time watching games, you know, simultaneously. Uh, it's a great time of year to be a sports fan. I say October, November, March best sports months of the year and so yeah I'll, I'll drag a second tv out and i had i had west virginia baylor on on tv wow. number two last night so anyway high scoring right, we affair missing, right we're, yeah we were missing we were missing baseball last night so i was watching a high scoring uh you know meaningless at least for me big 12 game so hey, it was great no tell, lack of touchdowns in that one tell that to pat mcafee um i said this earlier Jordan alvarez is to the mariners what ty hilton is to the houston texans Okay, I'll take your word. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Two run homer last night off of our guy Luis Castillo. And I didn't then, watch that. I didn't watch that game. I didn't see it. So you see the walk off he had the other night. Yes, I did see that part. Yeah. Gosh, and then last night, man, two one. Oh, we had another one. Oh yeah. Well, it wasn't a walk off, but in the sixth, they're up two one. Castillo's pitching great. Ninety eight mile per hour fastball. Boom, gone. Oh shoot. Oh man. Yeah, I got a little spot, soft spot for the Mariners with, with their Reds oh, of connections. Course. Well, yeah, it's it's the Reds farm team, you know. I mean, that's that's what my dad texted me last night too. He's a big Reds fan as well, and that's primarily where I get it. But he's like, ah, oh, this just this just POs, man. I mean, you know, all these all these Reds players are you know contributing. You got Castellanos with Philly and all the guys with the Mariners. They they, they should have they, they could have competed. They could have won that division had they you know spent some money and not overreacted to the pandemic, which they absolutely did. Um, but yeah, it's it's a tough pill to swallow considering all these guys are playing well and they're getting their postseason moments after not even sniffing the postseason in a Reds uniform and the fact that the franchise, the Reds franchise, is light years away from ever having those types of moments again. So it's yeah, try not to think about it. Yeah, salt meat wound on this Friday morning, no doubt. Real quick from Colts command or Bears commanders, lots of Colts last night. Matt Eberflus, Alan Williams, Carson Wentz, Alkadine Muhammad, any former Colts. And last night game, last night's game that you missed the most, Matt Taylor, out of that group. God about Al Kadeen Muhammad. He made a couple yeah, of plays last night. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I mean, yeah, he was he was always a very very solid player. You know, I, I don't know if he was a if he's ever going to reach the status of a double digit sacks uh, season type of a guy, but he's definitely a guy that can come in and and play you know fifty percent of the snaps for you. So. Um, you know, good for him finding a new home in free agency with the Bears. Obviously, you know, knows the Matt Eberflus system very well. That was attractive to now the head coach in Chicago in, in free agency to get a guy that he was uh, familiar with for four years here in Indianapolis. So, yeah, he's he was always a good guy to talk to. You know, he was always sort of like bottom line, just business-oriented, driven, yeah. focused, motivated. Lunch bell to work. No doubt, no doubt, he was a good dude, um, and so I'm, I'm I'm good to see. Or it's good to see him having some success in, in the same system, but just in a different place. Last two Thursday night games, you needed to chase it with Pepto Bismol for each of them, with how bad <laughs> yeah. it's been. Or 
liquor, bottom shelf liquor. That, that could be a, that, that could be a, bad. I mean, that, I know everybody's like, I'll wear that. I mean, Al Michael sounded like he was going to fall asleep in that game last night. He just sounded so bored and like that game was those teams in that game was so beneath him. But I mean, it's football. I mean. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't. It is I, football, but we should I hold the NFL it. to a higher standard. Well, sure, but I mean, I didn't hate it the last two weeks as much as everybody else. I guess that's that's the point I'm trying to make. Al I mean, Michaels was still, falling. Al Michaels was falling asleep because he just stayed at a porterhouse earlier. I mean, that there's day. only so many octaves you can go with the Chase McLaughlin field goal. Granted, the Stephon Gilmore pick was huge. No, it was. I mean, there was, and and for everybody that's that's moaning and groaning, there were more points scored last week than there was there was last night. Can you imagine taking that bet at the start of the night? Uh, voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, he's with us. Our coverage will begin 9 a.m. JMV um, from the Bullseye Event Center. Mate and Coach Venturi and Lara Overton, of course, on the call this Sunday with Jacksonville. Matt, I feel like in these matchups with Jacksonville, the starts of games have totally set the tone with what Trevor Lawrence has done on the opening drives. If I'm not mistaken, the Colts, I think they went three and out last year down there. And then this year, Wentz had that pick on the opening, or Wentz. Matt Ryan had that pick on the opening drive after you had crossed midfield. And I think back to just the slow starts this year, I feel like the Colts have gotten the ball every single game and haven't done anything with it. And that just puts you behind the eight ball. No, you're 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 right on it. They, the Colts have received the opening possession every single game this year, and they have failed to score on their opening drive of the game. I mean, the Colts have punted three times, uh, three three and outs, and then two turnovers. They had an interception against Jacksonville in Week Two, and actually had a promising drive working. And then same thing against Tennessee that they were in plus territory, I think, and then suffered a fumble. Um, so the, those those are huge, and you just look at just the, the general slow starts. And then also, too, I did the math last night, was geeking out a little bit. I had some time. But I, I did the math on total time played this year. So the Colts have played five games plus two overtimes. So that's 317 minutes of football, okay, 317 minutes of football this year for the Colts. Of that time, they have led for 36 minutes of the 317 minutes. Wow, 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 wow. So you're talking about 11%. That's 11% of the games this year where the Colts have Oh, that's Jake's algebra grade right now. See? I'm not as uh, dumb as I look. <laughs> and I did, I did the math like three times to make sure I got it right. But it, that, that's, that's what the numbers tell you. So, you know, just I think every team can say this or could say this, but definitely the Colts. Think about how much uh, different of a team the Colts could be or would be if they played from from the top on the scoreboard. I mean, your play calling on offense would be different. You would probably have more takeaways on defense because you would be able to change some things up schematically, get after the quarterback, you know, pin your ears back if you're up by two scores, you know, in the third or fourth quarter. You would just be a completely different team from a dynamic standpoint if you could establish the lead in some of these games. And that's been – you know, to bring it home for a full circle in this game against Trevor Lawrence, you're exactly right. Him getting off the good starts against the Colts has been the bottom line for him in these last two games. I mean, 83% completion percentage, by far a career high for him back in week number two. And if, not, I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, I think he completed his first seven passes uh, against the Colts, which gets him into a rhythm. He's a quick rhythm, timing quarterback. It establishes his confidence. It establishes, you know, what the game plan is that day against the Colts. So I think going forward in this game, get after him early, set the tone in the first quarter, don't let him settle in, and hopefully you can get the crowd behind you, the home field advantage behind you in this game, and establish the tone that you're just not going to settle in and be cool and comfortable like you were back in week two when seemingly everything came easy for him that day. Trevor Lawrence needs to drink whatever he's drinking before Colts games with every other game because he doesn't look very good otherwise unless he's playing the Colts. Uh, Matt Ryan will have Alec Pierce in week, uh, something he didn't have in their first matchup. Do you see Pierce's role starting to grow as there's more trust built with the offense and uh, Matt Ryan? Uh, Pierce has been awesome. He's got 15 catches for 222 yards in the last three games. And he got off to a shaky start, as we all know, right? I mean, dropped a couple of passes, one in the end zone against Houston, and then didn't play in week two with a concussion. 
So him him being back, I think, is going to be just as big as getting Michael Pittman Jr. back in this game. He didn't play in week two either. So those two guys are really sort of the comfort and the stability in the passing game for Matt Ryan. So if the Colts can figure out the offensive line combination and protect better in this game, um, you're, you're, you're going to have your two best playmakers on the outside available to you if you're Matt Ryan. So I'm really confident as far as the offense looking better in this game than they did about a month ago down in Jacksonville. Uh, but Pierce is proving to be more than just a one-trick pony where – you know, they line him up on the outside and, and tell him to go down the far sideline and, and make a contested catch. He's making, you know, possession-type receptions, you know, crossing patterns, and he had three big receptions on that last drive of the game in regulation uh, to set up the Colts with a game-tying field goal in Denver. So I know he's a rookie and he's played in, you know, three games or four games, but he's he's really further along than that, and Matt Ryan has a lot of trust in him, and the Colts are going to need him big time coming up this weekend. He's the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, joining Kevin and Query, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Matt, you mentioned the offensive line. Are The struggles that we've seen with the offensive line, is that something you, you see that can be cleaned up in season? Well, I mean, it hasn't been yet. And, you know, obviously they tried some new things uh, on a short week with no practice. I mean, they changed up 60% of their offensive line, uh, you know, in, in a, in a four-day span there uh, with, with Denver looming. And, you know, they still gave up six sacks. So they're trying to figure that out. And, um, you know, is it Braden Smith at tackle or is it guard? Is it Matt Pryor at tackle or, or is it guard? Or is it, you know, Will Fries or Danny Pinter at guard and, and stay with Ryan Kelly at center? I mean, everything is – you know, being examined right now, it's all hands on deck. I don't think there's any wrong answers considering the fact that, you know, you've allowed 21 sacks on the season, 11 sacks in the last two games. Um, everybody needs to be looked at, and, you know, everybody needs to look in the mirror because I think it's communication, it's one-on-one breakdowns, and it's just everybody not playing up to their potential and certainly, you know, the standards they set for themselves um, in years past. And, you know, I know this has been talked about, but it's it's primarily not not across the board, but primarily the same offensive line, um, you know, core wise that's been here since 2018. That's played together for a long time with Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson and, and Braden Smith. And you know, in 18 they led the NFL in fewest sacks allowed with 18. Well, they've already allowed more than that in five games. So they've got to get it cleaned up, and I'm not smart enough to have the answers. If I did, I'd give it to them. Um, they're still searching and. They will continue to search until they get it corrected on tape. And Frank Reich's exactly right this week. It's, you know, if the the strip sacks and the fumbles by Matt Ryan and the pressures and the total sack numbers, those are going to continue to be there. And the, the way that the defense is getting them is going to continue to be prevalent until you shut it down on tape. Until then, it's piranha in the water, it's blood in the water, and we're going to keep going, you know, keep using those same tactics until you prove that you can stop this leaky faucet. Uh, and the Colts have done that in the past. I mean, everything that the Colts have seen so far that's given them trouble this year, they've been able to shut down in years past with this unit, again, that, those core players. But for whatever reason this year, um, teams are just able to get home, and they've got to get it corrected. That's the biggest issue going into this game. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, he's with us, and he'll be on the call this Sunday. Again, it'll be Jacksonville at Lucas Oil Stadium. The home, home team in this matchup has won 10 straight. take kind of on that point, I feel like first and second down success has been really lacking for the Colts. They get behind the chains. I felt like they got behind the chains big time last Thursday in Denver, and that is kind of the blood in the water to me of, sure, you know, third and 10, third and 12, you'd like to, if you are taking a sack, you'd like to just hold on to the football. But it sets up more of those turnover type of opportunities. And I feel like if they had better success on first and second down, and maybe it's pass to run. Maybe it's not run to pass right. like they have been in years past. Maybe it's pass to run. Then all of a sudden you could be in better third down situations. And even if you don't convert all those, maybe you would just fall into more punts, which at this point would be baby steps in the right direction for this offense. No question about it. You're exactly right. I mean, the Colts are 24th in the NFL on third down conversion rate, 36%. But if you look at the numbers deeper than that, almost half. It's 47%. 47% of the third downs that the Colts have faced this year have been seven yards or longer in order to get a first down. Gosh, that's so huge. It's, it's first and second down success or lack thereof. And so – 
yeah, I mean, again, you talk about the offensive line earlier. It's everything needs to be examined on first and second down. You know, you're getting behind the chains, and maybe that's, you know, forcing your hand in terms of play calling, and, and maybe you're having to throw your way back into the game. Everything is – it's sort of like the human body. Everything's connected, right? So if you're getting down early on the scoreboard, you kind of have to change up your game plan. Maybe you don't run the ball as much as you want to or, or you think you need to. Now you have to – throw the ball to get back into the game, and you throw an incomplete pass on first down. Then you run the ball on second down, and all of a sudden it's third and seven, it's third and eight. And so all of these things are starting to add up. And honestly, you know, the third downs are leading to turnovers as well. You know, you're getting into third and seven, third and eight and longer, and then you're throwing a pick, or then you're getting sacked in the pocket, and then you're losing a fumble. You know, all of these things sort of correlate together. And you're exactly right. You know, I – it's going to sound crazy, but you could live, honestly, you could live with the Colts scoring 13.8 points per game and the 21 sacks if you just don't turn it over. The turnovers are killing this team, especially considering how good the defense has been. You know, the defense is giving up only 18 points per game, which is 10th best in the NFL, but 46 points the Colts have allowed this year off of turnovers is by far and away the most in the NFL. So if you just, if you just, cut down the turnovers and make teams drive the length of the field and not give them short fields following an offensive turnover by the Colts, they're going to be in better situations. To your point, even if these drives end in punts instead of lost fumbles or interceptions, that's way better than turning the football over. So the, the defense is certainly you know, carrying the Colts right now keeping them in games, allowing these fourth-quarter comebacks to happen. Uh, but, yeah, first and second down efficiency, that's got to be looked at. And then just holding on to the ball and not turning the ball over for the Colts, that's been the killer. And I think if the Colts don't have nearly as many turnovers as they do, I mean, right now they sit with 11 turnovers, which is 30th in the league. If they don't have nearly as many turnovers, they might have – one more win. Heck, they might even have two more wins, and that's considering. That that also factors in the 13.8 and the 21 sacks. If you just knock off the turnovers, you might be 4-1 and one or 3-2. and two. I believe Matt Taylor said the human body's connected. Mark, I thought he was going to break out in a head, shoulders, knees, and toes. <laughs> knees and toes. Only if Jake's here. Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. No, maybe. Well, see, when your back hurts, it's because your feet hurt, right? Everything's connected. Your shoulder hurt. Yeah, your ribs hurt. Everything's connected. Look at that. Voice of the Colts and part-time athletic trainer, Matt Taylor. (laughs) It's kinesiology 101. Right. Exactly. I don't know. It sounded like 201 or 301 there. (laughs) Matt, uh, Bernard Ryman looks to be the left tackle going forward. Will he be the last left tackle that they try at the position this season? Uh, boy, I, I can't answer that, but I know they want him to be. You know, they want him to be the, the left tackle of the future. And, you know, they they went through some growing pains there certainly last uh, Thursday in Denver. You know, he had uh, three holding penalties, which I think is the most holding penalties by one offensive lineman in the NFL in a game this year. Now, some of them were ticky-tack, but, you know, that's what you're going to have to live with when you've had so much instability along the offensive line and you're trying to grow somebody and groom somebody to be that long-term. So growing pains and baptism by fire, and I think he'll be significantly better this week. I mean, that was a tall order. No practice last week, plus he's coming off an injury. You know, he banged up his ankle going into that Kansas City game, and you're trying to slow down Bradley Chubb off the edge. That's that's difficult. Now, obviously, Jacksonville's got some guys that are in that category as well, right? They've got Trayvon Walker and, and Josh Allen. So, you know, this is the NFL. You're going to have a stiff test every week. But I think he's going to be considerably better this week than he was last week, considering he's got a full week of practice, another week removed from that injury. And so hopefully they get some better results just across the board, but certainly at that really imperative position at left tackle. Yeah, I feel like you just got to let him, let him develop. He's going to make mistakes. It's what a rookie's going to do. Just let him develop, get some get some reps under him, and just roll with it. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So now, now what do you do with Matt Pryor, right? I mean, is he a guard or is he a tackle? And is he one of your five best offensive linemen in that equation going forward? Everything's on the table, and obviously I don't think we're going to get a flat-out definitive answer today from Frank Reich, nor, nor should we, you know, trying to keep some things close to the vest. But maybe warm-ups for that first series against Jacksonville, that's, that's when we're going to get our answer. Yeah, I would move Pryor to guard, but I'm not necessarily thinking that that's 100% what they're going to do with Braden Smith. I, I'd keep Braden Smith at right tackle, but again, right. we'll have to see. Um, okay, Mate, we'll end with this one. These next two weeks, I, I cannot, I mean, it's obvious, but you cannot stress enough, I think, 
how important these are. I almost look at it like if you go 2-0, and your chance of making the playoffs and in this divisional drought is like 70%, you know, maybe even higher. You go 1-1, one and one, now you're talking maybe a coin flip. You go 0-2, and, and all of a sudden you need to pray the rosary every minute of the day the rest of the year to get back into the playoff picture. Um, can you kind of put into words, and I know it's difficult, just how important these next two weeks are? Well, you got one at home, and then the other one is a place where you've had relatively good success in the past. Now, you know, the last last year didn't go your way down in Nashville, and it's a difficult place to play against a really good team. Plus, Tennessee's on the bye, right? So they're going to be rested, and they've got two full weeks to get ready for the Colts to make some tweaks and changes on their end. Uh, heading into a really important division game for them as well, right? I mean, they're they're the champs until somebody knocks them off. But, no, you're exactly right. I mean, the most wins the Colts can get in the division is three, and I, I don't even know if that's going to be enough. I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how this all transpires towards the end of the season. But, you know, the, the best you can do is three, two, and one in the AFC South. And so you're going to need some things to break your way. But the bottom line is you just got to start taking care of business. You got to start handling the things that you can control and start getting some wins. Because what is it, Kevin, four straight winless games against the AFC South right. here for the Colts? Yeah, and again, down so, by three scores in each of those four. Right, so if they lose coming up on Sunday, knock on wood. But if, if should they lose, it'll be the longest drought or winless drought for the Colts. Um, five straight games where they will come up short or not win when you factor in the tie. Um, that that would be the longest uh, drought since the AFC South was formed for the Colts back in 2002. So, again, I'm not sure if three wins inside the division is going to be enough, but you just can't keep lowering that margin for error you got to start taking care of business knowing that you know the schedule starts to heat up with non-AFC South games you know past Halloween with you know Las Vegas on the schedule Philly's really good Dallas is really good Minnesota looks to be pretty good the Chargers the Giants are you know they only have one loss so far so you know you just can't keep you know, riding this this razor thin line of of uh, you know pl- trying to play mistake free football, um, you're only going to get one AFC South game in the last ten, and that doesn't come until Week 18 against the Houston Texans. So, yeah, I mean it's not hyperbole. These next two games are absolutely monster games for the Colts in deciding if they're going to be an AFC South champion and if they're going to be in the thick of it uh, for a wild card spot in the parity filled conference. That is the AFC here. Yeah, obviously things can and will change until December, but I don't think a lot of people thought, including me, when the schedule came out in May, you'd be looking at Dallas at 4-1, and one, Minnesota at 4-1, and one, and the Giants at 4-1, and one, and those are all teams the Colts will see after Thanksgiving this year. Matt Taylor, enjoy a little baseball if you can. Sneak it in this weekend, and uh, we'll see you Sunday up in the press box. You got it, pal. Yeah, two TV day. Let's go, brother. Let's do it. Matt Taylor right there on the Payless Liquors hotline.